0: Yeah, it's good to see you all. It's hard to believe that summer is um, its over. Um, some of you are happy about that. Some of you are sad about that. So if you're a teacher, you're probably sad. If you're a student, you're probably sad as well. If you're a parent, you're probably glad. But hey, uh, good morning. My name is Tim as I serve as one of the pastors here at Grace Point Church. And it's an honor to do that alongside Pastor Nick and Pastor Terrence and Pastor Fred and Pastor Ty, who is currently on sabbatical But he will be back to uh, harass us here in a few weeks. So we're looking forward to him coming back here soon. Uh, Before we jump into today's text, I got just a couple of quick announcements for you. Uh, First one is on August the 18th. Uh, We have our next worship night uh, coming up. Uh, This is just going to be a wonderful night of worshiping Jesus through song, through scripture reading, uh, through prayer. And so, trust me, you don't want to miss this night together. So, uh, just be a great opportunity to come together as a church family and worship Jesus. Uh, So, make sure that you are here for that. I'll be there. I hope to see you there. Uh, Now, also, this coming fall, as Emily mentioned already, uh, we are launching out our community cohorts this fall, and we have several for you to choose from. And so if you are one of those people that likes to procrastinate and sign up at the last minute, uh, well, your time is running out. And so uh, make sure that you go to Grace Point Vegas and get signed up there. One that I would like to highlight... is the refuge recovery groups. Uh, These are our recovery groups. And you say, well, Tim, that sounds like addiction groups, and I really don't struggle with uh, drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Uh, And I would just say this. You may not struggle specifically with an addiction, but the reality is, is every single person in here struggles with something. We do. Uh, Like Paul says in Romans 7, he says, like, I don't do the things that I know to do, and I do the things that I ought not to do. And so if this is you, uh, then refuge recovery groups are for you. Um, You may be here struggling with something, whatever that is, and you are just here saying, you know what, I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of it, and I want to be done. Uh, Well, this is for you as well. Now, guys, I know uh, a lot of us don't like to get out and talk about our feelings and our emotions, and I promise uh, we're not going to sit around and sing Kumbaya uh, the whole time. Uh, But this is going to be a great opportunity for you uh, as well. Uh, And I promise you this, that you will walk away with some lifelong friendships out of that cohort. So uh, go ahead and get signed up there. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to pick up in verse 12. And Peter, uh, this week in his letter, is uh, once again going to address the topic of Suffering. So, um, and if you haven't noticed yet, that the topic of suffering is a, is a major theme in this uh, letter. Uh, and, and I believe, believe the reason why that is is because, one, Peter's writing to a church that is uh, some churches that are suffering, uh, but this letter's been passed down to throughout the church, and uh, he knows that we, too, are going to suffer. Like Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. So the, the reality is, is that you and I inevitably will go through a painful time in our lives. You know, uh, we go through different types of suffering. Maybe you're here and you suffer because you're uh, a Detroit Lions fan, or uh, an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, if you're a baseball fan. I think they're the worst team right now. Uh, you can suffer if you hit your thumb with a hammer. Uh, you can suffer uh, because of a painful breakup. You can suffer because you have broken the law. You, you were speeding, and now you have to pay the consequences in the form of a ticket. Uh, you could suffer because you accepted a dare from your friends, and it did not go well. Hashtag like, Tide Pod challenge, Right. Um, you could be suffering a uh, terrible sickness. We like, we're, we're still kind of struggling with COVID and we've all kind of experienced that over this past season. Uh, you could be suffering because you are working multiple jobs, uh, or you're suffering because you lost a job, uh, or you're suffering because you, you've lost someone that is close to you. Or... You could suffer because of your faith in Jesus. Like you're persecuted for your faith. Uh, And there are all kinds of ways in which we suffer, isn't there? And a lot of times when a person's suffering, uh, we, we want to help them. We want to uh, give them some words of wisdom. We want to say some things that will, that will help them feel better, right? Or, or, you know, they come to us and they say, oh, hey, here's what's going on in my life. And really we feel compelled uh, to, to say something. But the reality is, is you ever felt like, man, I don't even know what to say to this person. Like, like their suffering is so significant, I just don't know what to say. So a lot of times what we end up doing is we resort to kind of just some, some canned phrases that we've heard along the way. We'll say, you know... Well, whatever doesn't kill you, you know, it's going to make you stronger. Or uh, we'll say like, 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 hey, you know, no pain, no gain. Or, you know, if you're from the South, you know, you've probably heard this. Like, you know, it's all right. You know, just rub some dirt on it. It'll be okay. Um, or, you know, you can take the uh, the Taylor Swift method of like, hey, just just, just shake it off. Uh, you can do the mind over matter. Uh, if you don't mind, then it doesn't matter. Uh, my favorite one, though, is one my dad used to say to us and. Uh, we, we would hurt ourselves as kids as kids do or do something. We'd be crying or complaining or whining about something. And he would just look at us and say, hey, suffer in silence. Um, and now, if you know my dad, it kind of sounds, sounds like he was a cruel man, but he was just trying to be tongue-in-cheek with that. And He was trying to say, like, hey, it's going to be okay. Uh, and he was trying to make us laugh in the midst of that. But when, we, when people use these phrases, right, like, we mean well. We're trying to help the person, or, 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 but when we say these things, even though we may mean well, they're not always helpful, isn't it? And I believe what Peter is going to tell us today about suffering is not that. I believe what Peter has to say about suffering today is going to be absolutely helpful for us. Now, if you remember, Peter's writing this letter, and he's writing this letter to a group of people who are, they're, they're, they're suffering. And he's wanting to encourage them. So remember, as Peter's writing this, the goal is to encourage and to instruct and to provide wisdom in the midst of suffering. And so, it's my prayer today that as you, as you, as we talk, as we walk through this, uh, that you find uh, Peter's words this morning comforting for your soul. And, and Peter, uh, he, he knows a little bit about suffering. He's not just writing to these group of churches as someone who hasn't experienced what they've gone through. I mean, if you look at the book of Acts, Peter was uh, arrested and, and beaten for preaching the gospel. Uh, Peter would eventually go on to be crucified upside down because of his faith in Jesus. He died as a martyr. So Peter, he has a little bit of an idea of what it means to suffer. And so he's not writing these things as someone who has no experience or just espousing some wisdom that he has no uh, knowledge of. And um, what Peter is going to tell us today is that because we are Christ followers, that we are to view suffering differently. It doesn't mean that, that because we're Christ followers that suffering should hurt less or that it's going to be over quicker, or that we're not going to go through suffering. Now, Peter's going to say, hey, you're going to have suffering, but what, I, what, what Peter's wanting to do, is he's wanting to give us a different perspective on it. He's trying to say, hey, as Christ followers, because you experience suffering, here's the perspective, here's how you should view it. Why? Why should we, as Christ followers, view suffering different than the world around us? Because we have the hope of Christ. We have the hope of God in us. Uh, C.S. Lewis was famously asked one time, why do Christians suffer? And he said, well, well, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Uh, And so as Christ followers, uh, we're not exempt from suffering, but we should view it differently. So what Peter's going to do today is he's going to give us five perspectives that we are to have when it comes to suffering. So uh, grab your Bibles. Uh, We're going to start here in 1 Peter 4.12. If you don't have a Bible, we would like for you to have one. We're going to have Bibles out at center point in the tables right here to my left and to my right. Uh, And so right here, Peter says right here in verse 12, he says, beloved. Now I just want to stop right there because I think this word is very important. That Peter uses this word and this term beloved. Excuse me. Because what Peter's trying to do in this moment is he's trying to set the tone for us, Right? He's trying to set the tone of how he's going to talk about suffering. Now, we know like the way you say something, it matters, right? Tone of voice matters. Uh, you, you can tell like, uh, how someone is re- responding to you by their tone, uh, by how they say your name. Uh, you can tell if someone's angry with you or someone's uh, upset with you or excited to see you. Somebody could say, hey, Tim, and like, I know that they're angry with me, or Tim, or hey, Tim. Uh, And so you could tell, like, tone of voice matters. When your mom uses your full name, like, you know you're about to be in for it, right? So Peter, he is saying, he's saying, beloved. And he's coming to us this morning with softness and tenderness and care and concern for us. And so he's trying to be loving toward us. And I I believe the reason why Peter is doing that is because he knows what he's about to say to people who are suffering He knows that it might be in the middle of their suffering, might be hard for them to hear. It might be hard for them to hear. And let's just be honest. Like when we're going through a difficult time, like like sometimes we don't want people to reason with us, right? We just kind of want to like, I just want to sit in this. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I just want to have my pity party. Like if you're a parent of a toddler, you get this like your, your toddler's pitching a fit, right, and just screaming, and, and you're trying to reason with this little terrorist you have in front of you, and, and, and you're like, you know what, if you would just listen to me, if, like, if you just listen to what I'm having to say, like it, it would, you would feel better, but they don't want to feel better. They just want to sit and pout and just you know, throw a tantrum, and I think we as adults are like that, and I think Peter knows that, and so he's trying to come to us this morning, and he's trying to say, hey, here's some things you need to know about suffering, but he's trying to come to us with, love, and tenderness. And so I hope that's how you hear Peter this morning. And he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And so the first perspective that we are to have uh, as Christ followers uh, in regards to suffering is that we are to expect suffering. Peter's saying is that you and I, should expect suffering. I, I love the word surprise. is because uh, it, it's saying like, like we shouldn't be shocked or surprised that, that something's happening to us. It's like being a football player and surprised that you're getting hit. Like it, like it, it comes with the territory, right? Um, and so we should not be surprised when suffering comes along. Now, we know bad things happen, but bad things happen to other people. They don't happen to us. They happen to other people. I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from someone and they're going through a season of just difficulty and pain in their lives. And they've just said, you know, I can't believe this is happening to me. I mean, I just can't believe that this is like, I'm experiencing this. Like, I I know this has happened to other people. I just can't believe it's happening to, to me. And I get why we're surprised at suffering, because suffering uh, doesn't always just show up at convenient times. It's not like suffering calls us on the phone and says, like, hey, um, what's your schedule look like Tuesday? Oh, you're full? Well, I'm going to show up anyway. It's like, like, you know, suffering doesn't do that. It doesn't give us the luxury of telling us when it's going to show up. And so it usually shows up when we least suspect it, right? But just because suffering shows up when we least expect it, does that mean that you and I are supposed to just sit here and say, "Oh well, okay, I get that suffering's a part of life; it just is what it is, and just you know, we just kind of got to grin and bear it and make it through"? No, we're we're not to do that. I love what Thomas Merton says uh, about this. He says, "He says suffering merely accepted does nothing for our souls except perhaps to harden them." And what Merton is saying, he's saying is that when we have that this it-is-what-it-is kind of attitude towards suffering, he says that attitude is not actually you being strong. He says what this attitude does is it actually serves to harden your heart, to harden your soul. He said actually it makes you bitter rather than better. Merton goes on, though, he says this. He says when a man suffers, he is most alone. You ever just gone through a season of suffering you just felt alone? You feel like you're the only one who's ever experienced this kind of suffering. You feel so utterly alone. And he says, because of this, he says, therefore, it is in suffering that we are most tested as persons. So we should expect suffering, but we should expect suffering to test us. And it tests us to see what we're made out of. And one of the things that suffering tests is our faith. You say, well, Tim, are, are, are you saying that, that God causes suffering uh, to, to test me? Well, that, 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 seems kind of, that seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? But I want, you, I want to make a distinction here for you. I want you to make this distinction that God does not cause suffering, but rather He uses suffering in our lives. I think so often we are too quick to blame God for what is going wrong in our life rather than blame, blaming the evil one the one that's actually out seeking to kill and destroy us. We, we blame God instead of blaming Satan. I think that's one of the biggest lies Satan has pushed upon us is that we blame God for the suffering rather than who is directly responsible for it. But, but God uses what's, what Satan means for evil against us. God uses that for our good. Well, let, me, let me show you the 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting verse 7. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. is writing to the church in Corinth, uh, and he says this. He says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, he says, A thorn was given, was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. He says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, because of that, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you notice what was the cause of Paul's suffering? What's it say there? It says, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Like this is is directly coming from Satan, but I want you to see how God used this This messenger of Satan used this in Paul's life to to bring about his perfection, to bring about the strength of God in his life. And so one of the ways that God uses suffering in our life is to test us. Now, you may have a tendency to to think, right, that being tested is is, kind of cruel. But whether a test is cruel depends upon the person who's administering that test. And What Paul's saying is when Christ administers a test to us, it's always in the hopes that we pass it. Other way, if it's the other way, when, when, if Satan's administering a test, it's always in the hopes that we will fail it. And so uh, the heart of the person giving the test matters. And so God uses tests as an opportunity for us to become like Christ. Look at what uh, James says about uh, suffering. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, he says, he says Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So God is trying to produce steadfastness in us. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Tests are part of the learning process. Like we get that, right? Like we never get mad at a teacher in school. Well, like for, for administering a test. Like when you go to school, you just know tests are part of the reality of going to school. And tests are part of the learning process. Well, isn't, aren't we learning to follow Jesus? Like when we come to Christ, Christ saves us. But from, from that point on, for the rest of our lives, we're learning to follow Jesus. And Jesus is teaching us to follow him. And so tests, I want you to see, are just part of the learning process. So as you and I learn to follow Jesus, we're going to go through tests of our faith, not as an act of cruelty, and even though they they, they may be painful, not as an act of cruelty, but God in His love is teaching us to follow Him. So we as Christians, we should expect suffering. Suffering is expected. But in that, I want you to see that God is still good, which brings us to our next point, and point number two, that the perspective that Peter says that we should have is that we should rejoice in suffering. So if suffering is expected, and we know that Jesus is good, then we can rejoice in our suffering. Look at verse 13. He says, "'But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering.'" that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, <clears throat> experiencing joy while suffering is a biblical concept that most Christians know. Like We get that intellectually, like we, we ascend to that belief that we should have joy when we experience suffering. But we rarely know practically what that means. Like we know it, but like practically, what does this mean? So I want to spend a little bit of time just kind of walking through practically what does this really mean for us to rejoice in suffering? Well, let me tell you what it's not. First, Peter is not saying that you and I are to pretend that we're not suffering. Like like, and we are like experts at that. We walk into church, we we see somebody out, we know they ask us how we're doing. Uh, And we say, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm wonderful. You know, even though everything in our lives is just falling apart. Um, And and so it's not pretending that we are not suffering. It's not just kind of like I'm going through a difficult time and I'm shoving a smile on my face. He's not saying that we should enjoy suffering. He's not saying like, oh man, this is fun. I should, I should, like, this is awesome. Like I'm I'm suffering. Like that's kind of sadistic, right? Like, so Peter's not saying that we should be enjoying suffering. What Peter is saying is that we should worship Jesus in our suffering. And one of the most um, overlooked aspects of worship is this idea of lament. Did you know that lament is an aspect of worship? You may be like, Tim, what is, what is lament? What does it mean to lament? Well, lament is to express deep sorrow, grief, and regret. Now, for years, the book of Psalms was like the hymnal, the songbook of the early church. And so the early church used the Psalms to to sing sing and praise worship to God. One of the um, largest categories of Psalms in the book of Psalms is the Psalms of Lament. There are more Psalms of Lament than any other Psalm in all of Scripture. And Psalms of Lament are like uh, when David says, Lord, how long are you going to forget about me? Lord, I, like, I've been crying on my pillow. It is, it is stained with my tears. Lord, like what I'm going through, like I don't deserve this. My enemies are coming after me, and He He's raising and expressing uh, sorrow and, and discomfort to Christ, to God, in the midst of that. So I believe when Peter says rejoice in suffering, what he means is that we are to worship God in our suffering. And how do we worship? It means we can go to God and say, you know what, this isn't right. I don't like this. This hurts. It's not fun. Like, how long is this going to last? Why is this happening to me? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Job 13, 15. Now, we all know the story of Job. He's going through, like, the whole book. He's just suffering. In Job 13, 15, he says this. He says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. He says, Yet I will argue my ways to his face. And what I love about Job is that the scripture says that in all that Job endured, he did not sin. And so we see see here Job going to God and he's arguing with God. And he's saying, God, what's happening to me isn't right. There's something wrong. The system's broke. It's not supposed to be this way. Uh, Like, I don't deserve this. Like, why are you allowing this to happen to me? In all of this, Job is worshiping Jesus in the midst of that. And so when you are going through a season of suffering, we can rejoice in that we go to God and we lament what is going on in our lives. Peter says that we are also to have honor in suffering. That there's honor in suffering. Uh, Look at verse 14. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, he says, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now, Peter's saying that there's a type of suffering that brings honor, and there's a type of suffering that brings shame. He has a look at verse 14. He says, if you are insulted. Now, he's saying, you may be shamed for following Jesus here on earth, you may lose status as a Christ follower, but this earthly shame is really a heavenly honor. Like to, to be able to be maligned, to be insulted for the name of Christ, it, it should be a badge of honor that we as Christians wear. We should not feel a sense of shame around that. Like Jesus in his Sermon on the Mountain in, in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are you. He said, blessed are you when others revile you, when they insult you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And what I love about the book of Peter is P- Peter is always trying to take our current circumstances of what's happening, and he's always pointing us to eternity. The whole book of Peter, he's pointing us to eternity. And, Jesus, and, and why is Peter pointing us to eternity? Because he discipled under Jesus, and Jesus did the same thing. He said, this may, Jesus is saying, this may be happening to you right now, but he says, but rejoice in that and be glad, he says, because your reward is great in heaven. He's pointing us to something better. He's pointing us to something greater. He said, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Peter says, is trying to say, hey, I know you're, you're suffering, but there, there, there is a kind of suffering, the suffering for your faith in Christ, he says, there is honor in that. And this is really a badge of honor rather than a source of shame. Like mean, Christians, like we we should be honored to be able to suffer for the sake of Christ. But Peter also, he he also warns that, that we shouldn't suffer for the wrong reasons. He says, You can suffer for Christ, but you, there's also you can suffer for the wrong reasons. He's saying, don't suffer for those. Look at verse 15. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. He's like, some of you are like, well, good. Uh, I've never murdered anyone. Uh, I haven't knocked off Lee's uh, liquor this week. Uh, So so I'm good there. Um, uh, but, But let me just ask you, have you suffered because you've lost your temper? Have you ever suffered because you just got angry and you couldn't control your rage? Have you suffered because you got a virus on your computer because you illegally downloaded a Nickelback uh, song on the internet? <laughs> I really don't care if you listen to Nickelback. I just figured since Ty was gone, you guys were missing a Nickelback joke. <laughs> so I was just trying to tide you over till he got back. Um, so if you want to l- listen to it all you want, I don't care. But he says, okay, maybe you're not a murderer, maybe you're not a thief, but he gives us other two categories. He says evildoer, and there's one category here, it seems like Peter really kind of closes out on. He, he's uses, he goes, don't suffer because you're a meddler. Now the word that Peter is using here is a Greek word, and is basically Peter makes up a word here. He took two words and kind of mashed them together, and so I'm going try to try out my Greek on you, so just bear with me. The first word is allotri, which means uh, belonging to another. <clears throat> The other one is episkopos, which is where we get the word like bishop or pastor or elder. And now, like, this may not be helpful to you, but what what Peter's really saying here is what he's saying is, don't be one who pastors someone else's business. He's saying, don't be someone who sticks their nose in other people's business. He's saying, don't offer, don't go around offering unsolicited advice. Now, you just think—if this is a, was a problem in Peter's day, how much of a problem is it in our day, especially with social media? If you go on social media, everyone is sticking their nose in everything, trying to offer their opinions. You know, they say opinions are a lot like elbows; most people have at least two. Uh, and what, <laughs> what Peter is saying is like, don't be someone who argues and rants and raves about everything. He's saying, you know what? You don't need to be the devil's advocate. You know, those people who are just like arguing for argument's sake and they don't really care. They're just trying to be the devil. It's like, I'm just trying to be the devil's advocate. Well, like, like, like the devil doesn't need any more advocates, okay? I'm like, don't, don't be that. Uh, it, it, like if you've seen a kid, uh, what he's saying is like, don't be that person when you see a kid pitching a temper tantrum in the grocery store and going up to the parent and giving them unsolicited parenting advice. Uh, he's saying, don't do that. Have you seen that progressive commercial? Or like, don't be like your parents, or the guy hires the plumber, and he's over there telling the plumber, like, how to fix the sink. He's like, hey, you, you, you hired him. Like, you hired him. Like, go away. Let him do his job. What Peter is saying is like, mind your business. He's saying, suffer for Jesus. Don't suffer for being a jerk. It just seems to me when, he, when, when, when Peter throws in here meddler, like, Jesus care, like, he cares about the social order. Peter says that we should also, we should embrace suffering. Look at verse 17. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be become, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And Peter just really he's saying that we should embrace suffering. That sounds like a little odd. Now, he's not saying that we should like it. He's not saying we should enjoy it. He's not saying that we should uh, try to usher in suffering. He says, but when it comes, we should say, ah, I was expecting you. See, remember what Peter's trying to give us here is he's trying to give us a different perspective on suffering. And as Christ followers, every, we, are, we all suffer, but as Christ followers, we have a different perspective on it. And so what we do when suffering comes is we don't see this as a bad thing, even though it may be painful. We see this because it could be good for us. So we embrace that because this is ultimately going to be for our good. Now, Peter makes an interesting connection here. He makes this connection between suffering and judgment. Now, when we look at judgment, like usually judgment is a bad thing, right? Like, like we, we don't like it when people judge us. Uh, we fear the, the judgment of the Lord. We, we like, so judgment isn't particularly always a good thing. But Peter is uh, like he, he's saying right here, uh, there's a difference in the type of judgment that is going to happen. He's saying that judgment for Christ followers prepares them for eternity with Christ. Judgment for people who don't follow Christ, it's preparing them for eternity without Christ. Do you see that distinction there? So judgment for a Christian, judgment for us, is always a kindness. Think of it like this. Think of this word judgment, if you're a Christ follower, think of it in terms as a diagnosis. Like when you're sick, or you're not physically well, you go to the doctor and you want them to diagnose what's wrong with you so that they can prescribe medication, so they can prescribe a plan of treatment so that you can get better, so that you can become healthy once again. So in that, when you go to the doctor, you're relying on the doctor's judgment of what is wrong with you so that you can get better. So in the same way, the judgment of Christ for Christians is this diagnosis, is a determination of like, hey, here's some things that you need to, to do to get healthy, to get better, to prepare you for an eternity with Christ. See, we know this, but God uses suffering in our lives as a form of discipline, doesn't he? Like, and we, nobody likes discipline, and when we hear the word discipline, uh, we can either see discipline as an act of love or we can see discipline as an act of harshness. And if you see it as an act of harshness, it may be because like maybe you had a grew up and you had a parent who was overly harsh with you and they used discipline not as a tool for training and growth, but they used it as a form of punishment. See, discipline without love isn't really discipline. It's cruelty. Discipline should always be used for our good, for our training, for our growth, never for punishment. God always disciplines us. He never punishes us. I hear all the time, that, like, why is God punishing me? Or if I did this, God would just punish me. No, God is done punishing us. You know why? Because Jesus took our punishment on the cross. Like, our our punishment is done, it's over, it's dealt with. So whatever Christ gives us now, it is God's discipline for us. It is always for our good, it is always for our growth, it's always because He loves us. Look at what Hebrews says, verse 12, the the, the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, "'It is for discipline that you you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline?' If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He's saying, if look, if I don't discipline you, it means you're not one of mine. He goes on to say that no discipline is enjoyable but painful. What Peter is arguing is that we should have this perspective that like, while it's painful and it stinks and, and it sucks that we're going through that, that we uh, uh, should embrace suffering. It doesn't mean that we're like, yes, give it to me. But when it comes, we should say, you know what, this is going, like God is using this. And even though it's difficult and painful, we know it is for our good. I love what uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, says about discipline. He says, I have learned To kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. See, discipline should always move us towards Christ, not away from him. He goes in verse 18, he says, And if the righteous is scarcely saved... What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And he's saying, you know, if it's difficult and it's hard for us as Christ followers to sit under God's diagnosis, under God's judgment, if that's difficult for us now, imagine how difficult it's going to be for those who are without Christ when they face judgment. He's saying, imagine how difficult it will be for them at judgment time. And lastly, Peter says, We are to entrust ourselves to God. He says, entrust yourself to God. Look at verse 19. He says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's that word therefore again. I think that's one of Peter's favorite words. Peter's saying, in light of all of this, he's saying, trust your life with God. And the word that Peter uses here with entrust is a banking term. And it means like to deposit for safekeeping. Like when you go and you put your money in the bank, you're depositing in there. You're you're, you're expecting the bank to keep your money safe. And so when we go through suffering, we entrust ourselves to God. You're saying, Lord, my life is in your hands. Like I I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. But I, I, I trust my life with you. Now, we um, do a lot of online banking now. I hate going inside the bank. Um, but I imagine there's still signs in the bank. You remember the signs? You would go in there and you see FDIC insured. Well, that kind of came around during the Great Depression. During the Great Depression, um, there, the big financial crisis in the country, people did not trust banks to keep their money safe. And so they were going to the banks and they were withdrawing their money because they didn't entrust the banks with their money. Uh, And so they withdraw their money, and it would it would make the financial crisis even worse. So to prevent that from happening, the government came along and created the FDIC, and basically said, "We are going to back your money, so you can keep your money in the bank, and it's not going. You can trust the bank with your money because we are backing it up." Peter is saying that your life is safe when you hand it to God. Why? Says because he's a faithful creator. The God who made all things, the God who, who created you, the God who, who gave life to you, you can trust him with your life. And really, when we do this, we're following the example of Jesus. I'll look back at, at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, actually. And if you really want to understand, like the key to understanding the book of Peter, these three verses are the key to understanding the whole book. So you can go back and you can underline, you can circle, you can highlight, whatever it is that you do. These three verses here are the the entire key to the whole book. Look what it says. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled and reviled, like when, when he was insulted, he did not revile or insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And I just want you to see the imagery here that Peter is giving to us. That Jesus is sitting there, he's hanging on the cross, and he is being mocked. Like, you know, if you really are the Christ, why don't you come down and save yourself? If you really are the Christ, uh, why don't you uh, perform this miracle? Why don't you do this? And people would just mock him. As they drove these nine-inch spikes through his his palms, he did not threaten them. He didn't say, wait till I get done here. I'm coming after you. He didn't do any of that. But he, in that moment... He did not return evil for evil, but he sat there, and he endured it, and he entrusted himself to God. He said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is the example. Peter says that as we endure suffering, when we do that, we are to entrust our souls to God. We're saying, Lord, this hurts. This is painful. It doesn't make sense. I hate this is happening to me. I don't want this to be happening to me, but I trust you. I trust that you're going to keep me. You know, so often when suffering comes along, it just kind of just seems to just punch us in the face. And it knocks us for a loop, and we're we're spinning around. And, and, and really when that happens, we, we just wonder, like, okay, what do I do? Like suffering's coming along. I get quashed that question, like, Tim, I don't know what to do. Like, what am I supposed to do in this situation? I, I don't know how to move forward in this. And I love what Peter does here because he tells us exactly what we are to do when we enter a season of suffering. Look back at verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It says, while doing good. What do you do when suffering comes along? You keep doing good. You keep doing the next right thing. So often, just like we, when we go through a season of suffering, we just kind of stop. We stop doing the next right thing. It means that, like when you're going through a season of suffering, you know what? You get up in the morning, and you just do what. You just put one foot in front of the other. You just keep going. So often, when people are suffering, they disappear from church. They stop praying. They stop reading their Bible. They stop going to community group. And the, the reason for that is because I, I can't go to church or community group. I can't keep reading my Bible. I can't keep praying. Why? Because I'm going through a season of suffering. And really, they stop the very thing that they need the most in the midst of that. And what Peter's saying is like, while you're going through suffering, just keep doing the next right thing. Just keep, like, keep going. Like, keep coming to church. Keep going to community group. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Uh, just, just keep trying to lean into that. Now, I get it sometimes when you're going through a season of suffering. Uh, it's like you don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like praying. Well, well, let God know that. Tell God, it's like, look, I don't feel like reading right now. I don't feel like praying right now. Like, go to God and tell them how, what your experience is. Just keep doing the next right thing. You know, Peter talks about suffering a lot. In fact, he talks about suffering over 21 times in the book of Peter. Twenty-one times he mentions suffering. And so because of that, <clears throat> we know suffering is real. Not because of what Peter mentions it so many times, but because we have lived it and we have experienced it. I'm sure right now you're thinking of times that you've gone through things that are hurtful, painful. Maybe you're going through something right now. And so we know that suffering is real. Not only is suffering real, but suffering is complex, isn't it? Like, we suffer for all kinds of reasons. Like, we, we had that list at the beginning we suffer when we cut our fingers or hit it with a hammer or when we fall and slip and break a bone or when we get COVID or when we get cancer or when we suffer abuse or when we suffer for Christ's sake. Like, we suffer for all kinds of different reasons. Not only is suffering real and not only is it complex, but suffering does not discriminate. Suffering doesn't care if you follow Christ or not. In fact, Scripture says that rain falls on the just and the unjust. Suffering doesn't care if you're rich or poor or male or female or young or old or religious or irreligious. Suffering visits us all. It does not discriminate. A lot of the suffering that we experience is perplexing, isn't it? Like, we just don't know why this, this suffering is even occurring. Like, it's like, it, it just makes no sense. I mean, like, why do children get leukemia? Why do parents suffer miscarriages? Like one of the biggest questions that we, when we go through suffering, that we ask is why. And I think that's a great question to ask: is why? Jesus asked why on the cross. When he asked God, like, why have you forsaken me? And why can be a form of lament. It could be a form of crying out. So why, in questioning God, in that is not necessarily a sin. In the midst of that, but suffering is real, and it is complex. And it doesn't discriminate, and it is absolutely perplexing. And so because of the reality of that, I hope this morning that you don't hear me trying to give you five easy answers for suffering. I hope you don't hear me saying, hey, do these five things, and your suffering is going to be over sooner. Or do these five things, and you're going to uh, ease your suffering by two points. Like, I I hope you don't hear that. Suffering is is so complex that there are sometimes no easy answers for it. But what I do hope you see, I hope you begin to see suffering in light of eternity. That's what Peter is always trying to point us to, that when we suffer as Christ followers, we're not suffering as people who don't have hope. We're not suffering uh, like the rest of the world. Uh, Like, it may be just as painful but we have something better and greater to look forward to. See, Peter's constantly trying to push us and look at our suffering in light of eternity. You know, sometimes our suffering, we think our our ability to endure suffering is based upon our ability to hold on to Christ. And really, our ability to endure suffering is Christ's ability to hold on to us. So if you walk away from one thing this morning, I I hope it is this, that you see your suffering in light of eternity. At the very beginning of this uh, series, uh, I gave you six things that every Christian should say to themselves uh, every day. Do you guys remember what those were? Six things. And I think those six things are especially important to continue to repeat to ourselves during times of suffering. First one is, I am a child of God. God is my father. This is just letting us know that we have a God who loves us, that while we are suffering, and though it may be painful, that God is with us. He's walking us through us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Number three is my savior is my brother, and every Christian is my brother too. It's this reminder that while we suffer, we are not alone in our suffering. That while it may feel isolating, it may feel lonely, but we don't have to be alone in our suffering. That you never know how often and how much your church is praying for you. Number five, heaven is my home and every day is one day near. It's just this reminder. It's this beautiful reminder that while we may suffer here on earth, that we have something so much better to look forward to, that we can view our suffering in light of eternity. It's kind of Peter's reminder to keep your fork, because the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight and we just, we thank you for giving us an answer to suffering. Your word never promises that you will solve suffering this side of heaven. But your word does promise that you will walk with us every step of the way. That you will walk with us in that, that you will never leave us nor forsake of us. Nor, nor forsake us. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that you would give us eyes to see our suffering in light of eternity. I know it's hard when you're in the midst of suffering uh, and you feel like you're getting hit from all sides. It's hard to even gain perspective. But I pray, Father, that you just calm our hearts, calm the anxiousness and the turmoil inside of us, and give us, by the strength of your Holy Spirit, the ability to see these perspectives of suffering. May we arm ourselves in this moment if we are not suffering. May we arm ourselves with these perspectives for when suffering comes. So Father, we, we love you and we thank you that you are a faithful God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.